So we have in our first reading today uh, a very famous and popular uh, prophecy from the book of Isaiah, from the prophet Isaiah. And all of us know this prophecy because we hear it all the time during the Christmas season, Advent season, right? That the virgin shall conceive a son and bear a son. He's going to be named Emmanuel. And we know that. We know that uh, verse really well. But we ought to forget is who and to whom this prophecy is given, Right? It's this guy whose name is Ahaz, and probably many of you have no clue who that is. So we're going to find out. We're going to meet Ahaz tonight. We're going to see who this Ahaz guy is and what he's all about. So Ahaz, first and foremost, is a king. Ahaz is the king of Judah. And probably about the time when uh, Isaiah comes to him, he's probably in his late 20s. Right? So he's a rather young king. Right, a young man with a lot of responsibility on his shoulders. He has a lot of responsibility on his shoulders because he's the king of Judah. They may say, what is that? why is that a big deal? What does that do with anything? Well, Judah is the town, is the kingdom where Jerusalem is. Why is that a big deal? What's in Jerusalem? The temple. So this king is in charge with literally the biggest monument of the Israelite people in this very historical place that dwells in his kingdom. And he has the job of making sure no one takes it over. No one conquers it. But the problem is, is that this king Ahaz has not been a good son of Israel. What I mean is that he has fallen away from the faith of Israel. He has been involved in pagan rituals, right? He's even made his son go through this very uh, difficult pagan ritual where he has to walk through fire. He's lost his way. He's not a king after God's own heart like King David was, who was his predecessor. And on top of all this, he has this great responsibility. He finds himself in a predicament. This predicament is that his kingdom is under attack, not by one other kingdom, but two other kingdoms. So these two small kingdoms have been going at him, going at him, going at him. He's constantly trying to push them away, push them away. But he's starting to see that his troops are starting to lose heart. Starting to become weak and weaker and weaker. And he begins to lose heart as well. Now, the reason why they're attacking him is because they want to gain all of his powers, all of his resources, so they can take them join it to their crew, and they go fight this bigger enemy and take over them. So what does King Ahaz do? He has this bright idea. It hits him. If they're trying to take me over to go conquer this other kingdom, how about I just go make an alliance with that bigger and greater enemy? So he has this predicament. He's like, what do I need to do? Sleepless nights, sleepless nights. Nothing comes to him. Nothing comes to him. He finally has this idea. Okay, I'm going to join to the greater enemy. The problem is Assyria is a pagan kingdom. They're totally pagan. They're totally contrary to what Judah stands for. And if he aligns with them, most likely they're going to take him over and destroy the temple. So in steps the prophet Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah steps in at this moment, this critical moment, when he needs help. And the prophet Isaiah says, 
hey, look, the God of the universe is saying to you, ask me for whatever sign you need, and he's going to give it to you. Let it be as high as the sky or as low as the netherworld. Whatever you want, whatever sign you want that God will promise you that you will not be conquered, you can have it. Anybody here wish they could get that from God sometimes? And so this, this literally, this guy who is going away from God is given this promise by God that he can ask for any sign. What does Ahaz do? Oh, I'm, I'm not going to tempt the Lord. He covers himself with false humility. You see, King Ahaz, his faith, his trust in God has totally diminished. And he has lost hope that God can do the impossible. That God has big plans. That God can literally protect him from anyone. And so what does God do? God says, well, hey, you don't want to ask for a sign? I'll give you a sign. I'll give you one. You ready for this sign? The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name will be Emmanuel. You want a big sign? You want a great and powerful impossibility? How about a virgin conceiving a boy? Right? That's what he said. But he does not want the sign. I want us to fast forward 700 years because another man in his 20s steps on the scene. His name is Joseph. Now, traditionally, Joseph is an older man. He's got this nice white beard he's been working on for a couple years, right? You see him depicted in the images. But nothing in the scriptures tell us that Joseph is an old man. Rather, he's probably in, just like King Ahaz, in his 20s, early, late 20s. And what happens to this holy, righteous man? He meets the most beautiful woman he has ever seen in his entire life. They start this courtship, and they decide to get married. And then they do get betrothed, which is the first step of marriage, which is not engagement. They are legally married at this point. Because in ancient times, they get betrothed, they're married, but then the guy goes off and prepares a home, right? He consults Chip and uh, Joanna, right? Fixer upper. And then he welcomes her into the home they come together. And so it's in between this moment where they get legally married and before they move in together that he gets the news that he never wanted to hear. She's pregnant. And so what does Joseph do? I'm sure he finds himself in this predicament, right? Agonizing. Why would she do this? Right? He had all these dreams, all these plans ahead of him. Right, sleepless night after sleepless night. But what is his one thought? His one thought is, well, I don't want to ruin her reputation. He doesn't say, I'm going to get revenge on her. I'm going to put it all over Facebook and Instagram. No. He says, you know what? I don't want to ruin her reputation. I'm going to divorce her quietly and just go on with my life. Can you imagine the stress and the distress that he was going through, the predicament he found himself in. And then finally, one night, he gets some sleep. He gets some sleep, and he has a dream. And an angel comes to him. And this is what's told to him. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary, your wife, into your home. For it is through the Holy Spirit that this child has been conceived in her, She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. 
What would you do if an angel came to you with all of this information? What Joseph doesn't do is say, Ah, I'm not going to tempt the Lord, you know? I'm not going to weary God. How about I just get out the way? No. Joseph responds with obedience. And notice he doesn't say one word. He just acts. And so Joseph exercises his filial trust in the Lord's promises, the Lord's big plans that he has. He reverently submits to the big plans of God. The very, very prophecy, the very sign that was prophesied 700 years before is literally unraveling before him. The great plan of God is unfolding in front of his eyes. And he says, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. So I think there's two important lessons, my brothers and sisters, that you and I need to take away from our first reading of our gospel. And that's this, that God has big plans, and he has big plans for you. And God has bigger plans that you can even imagine. The thing is that we have to let God be God and let him show off. Oftentimes we sell ourselves short because we sell God short. We don't actually believe that he can do great things. We don't really think that he has great plans for us. But oh, to the contrary, that God has big plans and he has made big promises for you. For you. And we're invited into a deep trust in his plan and his promise for each and every one of our lives. The second lesson to take away from this is that God wants you to be a part of these plans. I used to stupidly, and I use that word strongly because it was stupid, okay? I used to stupidly say, I just need to get out of God's way. That is bad spirituality, my brothers and sisters. Because God wants to use us. God wants you involved in his plan. God doesn't want to kick you out and say, hey, get out the way, let me do my thing. No, he says, hey, I have this plan. You want to join me? It's going to be exciting. It's going to be adventurous. And it's going to blow your mind. And this is what we see happening in Joseph's life. This big plan is laid out before him. God says, hey, the woman you just married is literally the woman that's been promised for thousands of years. She's yours. And the son she's carrying is conceived by the Holy Spirit. Talking about big plans, big promises. And what does Joseph do? Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. What do I need to do, Lord? Take her into my home? Okay. I don't know how I'm going to do this, but I trust you. So our brothers and sisters, with two days remaining two days remaining before we celebrate the great Christmas season. We're still in this Advent season of preparing and waiting as we examine our lives. I want us to go back to steps one and two. Let's tonight, in these next two days, let's reinvigorate our hearts to say, I know and I trust that God can do great things and he has great plans for my life. And let's not sell God short of what he can do. 
And then number two is to say, here I am, Lord. Here I am, Lord. I've come to do your will. I'm ready. I'm ready for whatever big plan you have for my life. And I'm ready to act now. What do you want me to do? Here I am. I've come to do your will.